So glad to have you with us today. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3. If you would turn there in your Bibles with me, Matthew chapter 3. Again, we are in the series um, written so that you may believe, and it's a harmony of the Gospels. So we're going through the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life, the, the work and life of mini- and ministry of Jesus, and, and getting to know who he is. And, and, and our theme verse is John 20, 31. It says this, but these are written, and these being the accounts of Jesus, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to uh, continue on in this harmony of the Gospels, uh, looking at verses 13 through 17 today. Uh, last week we covered the account of John the Baptist baptizing in the Jordan River and, and uh, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and we talked about what that meant. Uh, and we're going to move on from that into, into the, the days or weeks, months following that, uh, when Jesus comes and presents himself to John and, and says, I, I want you to baptize me and, and what that meant and what that, what that was all about. So last week we, we talked about John coming on the scene and John the baptizer coming on the scene uh, at the right time in history with the right message. And, and I don't know about you, uh, we had a discussion at our small group. It was amazing just thinking about the right time and the right message that, that, that hit our hearts and when it hit our hearts. Uh, just think about the times that you have had where, where you have been down and out in despair or at that rock bottom, right? At that place of just hopelessness and you, you realize this deep, deep need. And in that, in that moment, that became the right time and Jesus pursued you with the right message. And maybe that's today. Maybe you're, you're going to hear about the good news of Jesus today, and, and, and you're not going to be able to resist it. You're going to know that this is the right time. This time is now. Today is a day of salvation for you and maybe for your house, a time where you put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus and, and turn your faith and hope and trust from something that's, that's deficient in so many ways, some other idol or some other sacrifice that you're, you're claiming as, as yours that is leaving you empty. So we'll see that today as well. But the thing about John is, he came at the right time with the right message. He came at the right place as well. He preached in the desert. He preached in the wilderness. He was, he was outside of the system, and he, he didn't go in to transform and, and break down the system. He, he, he went outside of it to draw people away and to separate a people unto the Lord, to call them out of any form of religion or, or um, pharisaical tradition of men, uh, any, any kind of checking off the box and, and to, to draw them to repentant faith and expectant faith in Jesus Christ. So we talked about the baptism uh, last week as well, and it was, it's very similar to what, what's practiced today, except that when John instituted this rite of baptism, it was a, it was a repentant, expectant faith. And that meant that I, I'm turning from whatever system I'm go, I was in, I am consecrating and setting myself aside and setting myself apart unto Christ. And, and that, that hope that we have and that faith that we have is an expectant faith that the one to come, the Messiah to come, would be the one that would offer and extend the forgiveness of sin. The baptism didn't forgive them of sin. John didn't forgive them of sin. Their expectant, repentant faith and hope in Jesus Christ what was, is what would forgive them of sin. Uh, today is similar, except that we're not expectant any longer. We, we have seen the Messiah come, and he has, he has died, and he has buried, and he has risen from the grave. He has ascended to the Father and now sits in glory waiting for us. And he sent the Holy Spirit to us to confirm who he is and to leave us with power and strength for today. So baptism today is that symbol that, that I identify with Christ in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. And I'm, I'm new. I'm created new. And, and so it's a celebration. Today, baptism is a celebration of 
my own repentant, expectant faith. And it's a celebration of the forgiveness that Christ has offered and extended through faith in Christ. And that, that it's a symbol that I am washed clean. I'm, I'm, I've been made new because of that faith. And uh, while that, that faith is a very private, often, decision that you make between you and Jesus, uh, baptism becomes that public profession of that faith, that confession of Christ uh, in the world. It's like a wedding ring. It says, uh, look, I, I'm putting this on. I'm married. And if I take this off, I'm still married. Baptism isn't something that saves you. Baptism is a, a wedding ring that goes on and says, look, I'm saved. Look, I'm, I'm married. I'm, I'm committed to Christ, and Christ has died for me. It's an amazing celebration of Jesus and what he's done. So today we, we move on, and we look today at the approval of Jesus as God's Son, the Messiah that he sent. So it, it's an amazing, the sermon title is The Approval of the Messiah or The Approval of Jesus. Um, and it's, it's going to be looking at that stamp and that seal that, that God has on Jesus. Now listen, here's the deal. As we look at this, we're, we're looking at this text that says, it's written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. All of Scripture points to Jesus. We can't get around that. All of Scripture points to Jesus. And it points to Jesus as the anointed one from God, as God in the flesh, as the Son who came to redeem us of our sin. He was the perfect sinless one. He was fully God and fully man and humbled himself that he might become obedient to death on a cross for you and I. All of Scripture points to Jesus being divine. All of Scripture points to Jesus being God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And so today, uh, don't miss that. Don't miss that this is about Jesus being God in the flesh. So many of us would like to, to say, oh, well, no, it, it's, he's a good teacher. He's a good man. Let's see what the good man said. Let's see what the good man did. Let's follow in his footsteps. No, that's, that's not what this is about, my friends. This is about Jesus Christ being God in the flesh, God who came to dwell among us and ultimately give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So today we're in Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll read our text. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you allow us to, to gather in so many different ways, and, and this way over live stream is, is interesting, to say the least, but God, I pray that you would use it in the lives of those viewing today and those who might hear tomorrow and the weeks to come, that, God, you would use it in a, in a mighty way to speak truth to their lives. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to what your Spirit is going to teach us today, to be receptive to the Word of God, that we'd be forever changed by it. We'd be challenged and we'd be uh, convinced that we are sinful and that we need a Savior. And we would, be, we would be convinced of the truth that that Savior is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. So God, help us to, to look to you, to abandon ourselves, and to express repentant, expectant faith in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you, yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on Jesus. And the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. All right, we're going to cover that today, and next week we'll go into the temptation of Jesus. 
but we're going to cover this short passage of Scripture of Jesus' baptism. And, and in it, I said earlier, this is about the approval of Jesus, or the stamp of approval on the Messiah, God's, God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to see three different aspects here today. Uh, the first, number one is this. We see the baptism of the Son. And as we go through this, we're going to see this amazing presentation of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and of the Father. We're going to see the Trinity of God at work, working together in unity, uh, for the glory of, of the Godhead. So the first part we see is the baptism of the Son. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee. This is then, is after uh, John had been baptizing and preaching the gospel of repentance to them and the good news. Uh, he came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Uh, Jesus answered him and said, Allow it for now, because in this way, it's the way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. So remember John, uh, John is, is a man who we saw at, at, at birth. He, uh, the scriptures say that, that Luke tells us that he had been filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit from birth. So this is a man of God. This is a man who loves God. And later we'll find that Jesus says there's no one better, no one greater than John the Baptist in scripture. So this man is a man full of wisdom. He's not, he's not just being passive here. He sees the Messiah coming. He sees Jesus coming and says, you need to baptize me. And John's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you are sinless. And the baptism I am offering, this rite of baptism I'm offering, is a repentant, expectant faith. Uh, these people are coming expecting the Messiah to come forgive them of their sins. And he's basically saying, Jesus, there's no need for you to come be baptized. You are the one who forgives sins. In fact, you, you should be baptizing me. I'm, I'm a human being. I'm, I have no divinity in me. Even though I'm controlled by and led by the Spirit, I can understand by the power of the Spirit that I desperately need you. This is the argument he's having. He's reluctant in his heart. He's like, oh, he's not just saying, oh, let's do this. He's saying, wait, are you sure about this? I need to be baptized by you. You, you shouldn't be baptized by me. What do you, why do you want to do this? So he's reluctant there. Um, he knew in John's mind, he knew that Jesus was sinless and, and, and he had no need for this baptism of confession. But John, he felt unworthy, right? He felt unworthy to baptize Jesus. He knew he was sinful and needed the Savior himself. So why? Why, why did Jesus come to be baptized? What, there's kind of three things we can see here at least. Uh, one, he says it was to fulfill all righteousness. And we see that Jesus was, was uh, God in the flesh who submitted and surrendered himself to the law. He said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill the law and the prophets. I'm not, I'm not here to abolish it. I'm going to fulfill it. So he was, it was one of, of being set apart, and although he was divine and didn't need to, need to be obedient under the law, he became obedient under all of the law, like anyone else should have. So he fulfilled all righteousness. Galatians tells us this in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Paul says, when the time came to completion, right, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus was born under the law. And before this time, Jesus is about 30 years old here. We see in other accounts. Before this time, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. He found himself about his father's business. He was in the temple. He was growing. He was, he was doing the things that a, a man of that time was supposed to do under the law. He was born under the law. And then verse 5 says, to redeem those. He, so he's born under the law so he could redeem those under the law. That's you and I. So that we might receive adoption as sons. See, he was the one who came to fulfill the law, to fulfill all righteousness. That we could look at his life and say, yes, he followed suit. He, he did what he was supposed to do. He set himself apart as one who submitted and surrendered to God and the authority of God's law. So throughout his lifetime, he had fulfilled the law and, and that he might redeem those, you and I, who are under the law. 
And, and in doing so, he continually, he continually signified that he was consecrated to God and acceptable to him for service. So you see that in Jesus' baptism. He's being set apart. He's being confirmed as this, this is Jesus. He, he's getting his ministry started here. Uh, and, and, and some would say that he was, he was cleansing himself in this ritual as a, as a high priest. And, and that's, I think it's a little far-fetched. He, he is ultimately a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, but it's not, it's not here that we see him taking on his priestly role. Uh, he is, but he is setting himself apart. He is consecrating himself to service for the Lord. So one is to fulfill all righteousness. Then we see uh, it's to be identified as the Messiah. This is a really rich con, uh, content here in John chapter 1, if you wanted to turn there. John chapter 1 gives this account of what happens the next day. So Jesus comes. He, find, he is baptized by John. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove on him. And then the, Spirit, uh, the, the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, John knew that something was going to happen, and, and, and I want to read this part out of John, uh, John chapter 1, when John the Baptist is explaining uh, what he was seeing and what was, what was supposed to be done here. So it says, the next day, this is the day after Jesus' baptism, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, so he's pointing this out, he's proclaiming this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. So, so now John is saying, hey, remember, this is the one I was talking about earlier. So this has been on John's mind. This is the one I, was I told you about, that after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Right? John the Baptist was born first, right? But he's saying that the Messiah, Jesus, who's his cousin, who was born after him, actually existed before him. Why? Because he's preeminent. He is God in the flesh, and he's always existed. He says, I didn't know him, but I, I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. He knew that when John's ministry started, that this was going to kickstart the Messiah. He paved, uh, paved a road in the desert, right? A highway in the desert, a voice crying out. And John testified. Here's what he testified. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it rested on him. So we saw it yesterday, right? I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me. So he... Although, and, and Jesus is his cousin, but there's not a deep knowledge here. They, they probably sent, spent their years apart, uh, mainly apart. Although John probably heard stories from his mother about, about when, when Mary came to her house and, and the joy that she knew uh, that Mary was having the Lord. So John was probably aware of that, but it doesn't seem like they had a really tight uh, familial connection. John lived in the wilderness. Jesus did not. So he said, uh, I, I didn't know him, but, the, but he who sent me, that's God, to baptize with water, told me. So here's the knowledge that John had before Jesus' baptism. The one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John knew that, right? And then he says in verse 34, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So John saw this happen at his baptism, right? So Jesus was baptized. The Spirit descended on him like a dove. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So this, this area, when Jesus is baptized, it, it's fulfilling prophecy. Uh, that, that Jesus is, is going to be baptized and that prophecy is being fulfilled that was given to John the Baptist, that when he baptized Jesus, the Messiah, uh, the Spirit would descend on him and that would be the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John was eager 
eager for that to happen. And he, he, knew, he didn't know exactly how it would look. He, he thought, well, I'm going to be baptized, and then we're going to see this one come, and we'll see the Spirit descend on him. But the Spirit actually descended on him through this time of obedience, of fulfilling all righteousness, of this baptism of Jesus Christ. And then immediately John knew. And, and when John knew this, when this happened, the reason Jesus was baptized was that John then could identify him as the Messiah. Because once he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him, and John knew he was the one. And what did he say? Verse 29, right? The next day, Jesus saw, or John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he was proclaiming Christ is the Messiah. This is God in the flesh. He knew the Messiah was coming, and he, didn't, he was a little timid to baptize him. But he, through Christ's baptism, John was able to proclaim that he is the Messiah. And then finally, Jesus was baptized in order to identify with sinners. He was baptized in order to identify with sinners. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, He made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Lord Jesus here, he identified himself with sinners so that sinners, you and I, would be able to identify with him when he gave himself as a substitute for our sins. And the same thing is true about baptism now. In baptism, we who are sinners identify with Christ in his death, burial, and his resurrection. That baptism, we go under the water. And this is exactly what's happening here. Jesus, it says, came out of the water. Other accounts say John went to a place where there's much water to do baptisms. Why? Because baptism meant and always has to go under the water, to be submerged and immersed in water, and then to come out of the water. So Jesus did this, and, and an amazing thing, he, he identified with death, right, and then resurrection. He, he foreshadowed that, and for you and I, we identify with Jesus in his death and resurrection as we proclaim him through baptism and follow him in obedience. So the approval of the Messiah was through the baptism of the Son. Number two, the approval of the Messiah, or Jesus, uh, was through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We saw the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, so we see the Son, and now the Holy Spirit. Uh, other other uh, accounts of this say that he was praying during this time. He was praying, so he had this communion going on, this unity uh, with the Father and the Spirit. And it says in verse 16 of Matthew 3, that when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, right? There he was in, and then he was out of the water. And then the heavens suddenly opened for him, and, we, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down upon him. Our, our text here indicates that the heavens were suddenly opened. It, it, it's, it's almost like they were torn asunder is what some, some translations say. They were ripped apart. Uh, and, and it's symbolic here that, that Jesus has this, this tight, tight communion with the Father and with the Holy Spirit and always has. So the Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit have always coexisted eternally together as one God. And there's this communion that's happening. And, and so there's this closeness there. And we see when the heavens are ripped open and torn open, and, and then we see the Holy Spirit descending down upon Jesus, we see this communion. We see this closeness. But it's very symbolic also. We see when Jesus dies later on, we, we know that he's, he's crucified. And, and what happens? Remember the temple, the veil of the temple is torn in two. It's ripped apart. And what does that mean for you and I? It means that there is now a closeness that we can have with God through, through direct access, through him in prayer. We don't need a mediator anymore. Christ has become our mediator. So we have this direct access with God. Just like Jesus is experiencing here at his baptism, he has this direct communion and unity with the Father and the Spirit. And, and, and it's an amazing picture of that communion and unity. But, um, humanity has, has now access directly to God uh, in relationship and in redemption, right? In, in strength and in forgiveness, as Jesus was baptized, we see the heavens open and we can see this access that he has in relationship with the Father. 
there's a closeness and unity there. And, and so what, what was it about the Holy Spirit? What, what was, why was the Holy Spirit there? And I want to read a, a portion of Scripture out of Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 37, going through 43. It says, You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John reported, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all those who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach the gospel and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Amazing passage of scripture. This is the clear-cut gospel. And it says, remember that time when Jesus was baptized and he was anointed with the Holy Spirit? It was because of God's power. That he was anointed with power and anointed with, with direction and, and a work to do. So this set apart, he, he went out to fulfill all righteousness in baptism and the Holy Spirit descended on him in his humanity and said, I'm going to strengthen you in your, human, your humanity. You are, you are no less God than you have ever been. You've always been, right? When Jesus became a man, he did not lose his divinity. He was still fully God in every way. Um, in, in his deity, he needed nothing. But in his humanity, he was now being anointed for service and granted strength for ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. An amazing thing here, that God's Spirit uh, descends on him to, to strengthen him for the service that he's humbled himself to, to strengthen the flesh that he has now put on, that he might be able to accomplish the will of the Father that sent him. Number three, we see the approval of the Messiah through the approval of the Father. We see the approval of the Messiah through the approval of the Father. Verse 17, back in Matthew 3, it says, A voice from heaven said, so the, the, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and then the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I want you to think about this, this first hand. So we read this now, it's kind of, Secondhand, it's, it's kind of hearsay. We're reading the story in, in our home. It's kind of private. But think about the scene here. There are crowds of people, multitudes, coming to be baptized and to hear John's preaching. They're all over. And then Jesus shows up, and Jesus is baptized. And, and during this baptism, you see the heavens torn open and the Holy Spirit descending in the physical presence of a dove on Jesus. And then you see, you see and hear God's voice. From heaven, crying out, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Imagine what that must have looked like. Imagine what you would have felt as you saw and heard these events. I, I don't understand how someone could see and hear what they did and say, oh, no, that's, that's not the Messiah. No, not, not the one who was kind of rejected by John because he was too good to be baptized. Not the one who was dunked in the water and, and as he was coming out and he was praying, the Holy Spirit, the, the heavens tore open and the Holy Spirit descended on him. No, that must not be him. Oh, you know, the one, that, the one that the Holy Spirit descended on and then this voice came from heaven. It must have been God, but I don't know, maybe not. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. No, no, it, it's, a, it's a fluke, right? It's a coincidence that these things took place. Not at all. Listen, remember, these things are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing that you would have life in his name. 
this stamp of approval between the, the obedience of the Son and the anointing of the Spirit and the approval of the Father, the stamped seal of the Father, should show us the divinity of God, the love of God, the power of God through Christ His Son, and should drive us to our knees and drive us to repentant faith in Him. The New Testament uh, offers us the answer, the solution in this new sacrifice, this sacrifice, the perfect, unblemished sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that we would believe in him. See, the Old Testament sacrifices had, that had come before, uh, and no matter, no matter how carefully that they were selected or prepared, they were never able to truly be pleasing to God. So we see the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Everything that became, came before the Son was not near as pleasing or could please the Father as the Son. The law had always been on display. Listen, they brought their sacrifices. They picked out the best lamb or best sacrifice they could, and they brought it, and they, they killed it, and they shed its blood, and they, they desired faith in God for, for forgiveness of sin. But even that, they knew that they could not live up to any expectation. They could not be actually perfect. The law had always been on, on display to show how inadequate we are to live up to the law. Our need is not to do better. Our need is to embrace the one who is best, and that's Jesus Christ. Uh, the author of Hebrews writes this beautifully in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. It says, since the law only, uh, has only a shadow of the good things to come. Think about that. The law was there, but it was a shadow. It wasn't really the real thing. It was just a shadow. It was trying to be what it could, but it couldn't live up to it. The law was there as a shadow of the good things to come. That's Jesus. And not the reality itself of those things. It can never, or, it can never perfect uh, the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. So the sacrifices they offered weren't able to perfect the worshipers, weren't able to make them totally clean and right. Otherwise, it says, wouldn't they have stopped offering sacrifices since the worshipers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? I'm saying, listen, there was a system set up so we could have forgiveness of sin and be right with God. But it was left wanting, right? We, God saw the faith of those people and forgave them because there was a faith in the coming Messiah, but it, it was lacking. It goes on in verse, uh, verse number three. It says, but in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year after year. Like I, I, This is a reminder. I can't, I can't live up to it, for it's impossible. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Well, that just seems like we were doing that for nothing then, right? Well, there's still a faith to be had there and, and, a, and a desperate need for the coming Messiah. Therefore, verse 5, as he was coming into the world, as who? The Messiah, right? As he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I, th then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, God. So Christ, the Messiah, comes on scene to do God's will. Well, let's see what that is. What's his will? He, he's given him a body, and he, it seems like it doesn't delight in sacrifice, but what, what's the will here? After he says above, or, or after he says above uh, you do not desi desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first sacrifices to establish the second better sacrifices, good things to come. By this will, right, the will he said in, in, in verse 7, I come to do your will, we have been sanctified through the offering 
of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. I know that's a lot of words there. Here's what it says. The old system was ineffective to totally forgive. And he had to come back and come back and come back and do it again. Jesus, and it wasn't pleasing to God. That didn't please God. But there was a perfect sacrifice that did please God, and that was Christ who came in, in hum humanity and put on humanity and humbled himself and became obedient to death. And he became the perfect sacrifice. It says that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It's once and done. He's done. Why, why do we see that? How do we know that? Well, John proclaimed it earlier. I read this verse in, in John 1.29. John the baptizer says this about Jesus. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is not the lamb of that family or the lamb of this family or the lamb of that priest. This is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not his sin, the sin of the world. This is the perfect lamb sacrifice. The perfect and pleasing lamb sacrifice that came to take away the sin of the world. We see that in 1 Peter as well. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, but not with perishable things like silver or gold, these sacrifices or offerings, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. You see, the Father's approval was on Jesus because Jesus offered himself as the unblemished, perfect lamb of God who would shed his, not just blood, his precious blood, his acceptable blood. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Last verse in 1 Peter 1, verse 21. Through him, that's Jesus, through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Again, we see this text as a harmony of the Gospels. We see this proclamation of who Jesus Christ is through his obedience to the law, through becoming sin for us, through, Jesus, uh, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the strengthening of the Holy Spirit, and then through the approval of the Father. We see these things written, recorded, and proclaimed so that you and I would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing that we would have life in his name. See, the approval of Jesus was seen as he identified himself with sinners and for sinners. It was seen as the Spirit confirmed and anointed him with power and strength. And it was seen in the Father's approval of Christ's precious and acceptable sacrifice for you and I. Like last week, we said this about when John understood forgiveness. There, there was what Jesus was coming to baptize with, the Holy Spirit with fire. What he was going to do could not be duplicated by any man or woman on earth. It had to be divine. It had to be from God. And, and, and the Father understands that about Jesus' sacrifice as well. Only The only acceptable sacrifice to God is the one made by Jesus Christ on our behalf. He is the perfect lamb sacrifice who offered his precious blood for you. I hope that gives you hope today and strength today. I hope that, I hope that makes you want to shout it from the rooftops and point everything about your life and point others to Jesus Christ. I love you guys. Let's, let's pray and uh, we'll get on. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace. We thank you that you love us, that you've sent Jesus. And God, Jesus was not just some moral teacher or, or a good a good thinker, 
He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And He is our perfect and acceptable sacrifice, the one that's, that's acceptable to God the Father. We thank You that He became sin who didn't know sin, who wasn't sin, but He came, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, that we'd have a righteousness through faith in Christ that we never earned or never deserved, but one that lasts and is acceptable before the Father because of Jesus' perfect submission to the will of God to die for us. Increase our faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.